Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, finding your inner self and the top five pieces of playground equipment. That meditation is, in its essence, a way of becoming more familiar with who we truly are. Every time we do that, we are rewiring the brain. We are retraining it that we don't have to chase after every anxiety-producing thought that comes up in our life. We can make a different choice, a choice to be present, a choice to be mindful, a choice to be in some sense, kinder to ourselves. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So I have reached a point in my life where I'm constantly trying to reflect. Problem is, I'm not really very good at it because every time I try to do this, my mind just bounces all over the place. And it's been like that for a while, but I think that the pandemic and what we're all going through has just made it so much worse. I think so many more people are dealing with a lot of stress and anxiety and there isn't time to just kind of relax and think. Our first guest is an expert at dealing with that stress and anxiety and really helping people find out who they really are. This is meditation teacher Lodro Rinsler. So I think a lot of people have heard about meditation, but what what am I actually supposed to be doing when I'm meditating? So actually lead a lot of meditation teacher trainings. And the funny thing is I always have to give them the bad news, which is a large part of the work we do is like re-educating people around this word and what they should expect. Because uh, most people have been sold a, a... you know, bill of goods, which is like you see the magazine cover and you think, oh, if I meditate for a moment, I find everlasting peace and bliss, and it should feel just about as relaxing as a massage. When in fact, meditation is actually us learning to know ourselves better. My favorite word for meditation in the Tibetan language is gom, G O M, and that can be translated as familiarization or meditation, and it equates the two. That meditation is, in this essence, a way of becoming more familiar with who we truly are. So there's this sense of, I mean, there's a million types of meditation out there, but since I come from the Buddhist tradition, 
um, you know, the types that I talk about are often based in some form of mindfulness. So mindfulness of the breath, for example, we sit down, we meditate on feeling each in-breath and out-breath. When we get distracted, we come back. There's something very simple about that. And yet when we sit down to do it, we often find that our mind is a little all over the place. It's just rampant thoughts. It's sort of a bombardment of thoughts, one after another after another. So that formerly aforementioned um, bill of goods that we've been sold of, this should feel relaxing. This should feel good and only feel good. We feel like there must be something wrong with me if I'm experiencing something other than that. When in fact, it's just about every human being out there that when you sit down to meditate, whether it is meditation on sound, meditation on emotions, or meditation on breath, or any number of things, it's actually this deeper experience of just getting to know how many thoughts we really have and then starting to work with it over time in the same way that we might learn a new language, we might try and learn a new musical instrument. The more we pick it up in little bits every day, the easier it becomes. And the easier part here, it was simple, but now it's easy to just sort of, it's like the volume of the thoughts gets turned down, like the actual level of the volume. Um, they become less alluring to us, that we're more able to stay with our object of attention, such as the breath. And as a result, we feel more of a sense of peace. I can't get this done in five minutes, right? Like that's kind of how I feel the normal approach now is. Like I'll meditate, but I got five minutes. And if I don't have everlasting peace after five minutes, probably not going to do this again. Do you run into that? Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like we want Amazon Prime for meditation. We, we don't want to wait the seven to day, day, 10 day shipping. We want it like tomorrow or it's not worth it. And same thing here. It's like the science, there's so much science these days around meditation. It's like every week there's some new study from some university saying, if you meditate just a little bit every day after a period of some weeks, you start to see increased gray matter in the hippocampus in the brain. You see more activity in the ACC of the brain, which translates to we're more productive, we're more efficient, we're more present. We sleep better, it boosts our immune system. We're a minute away from BuzzFeed releasing the 20 sexiest reasons we should be meditating. Like it's really getting up there. But the idea is like in that fine print, there's this marker of, well, you have to do it for a few weeks. You have to do it consistently for a few weeks. You can't just do it once or twice. Can you do meditation without the spiritual slash religious aspect of it? Yes, um, absolutely. So there's I mean, you know, we always hear about these things within religions, like the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist and things like that, right? He, he was a person. He was a person who tried actually a bunch of different types of meditation and settled into just being with the body, breathing, mindfulness of the body, and was able to wake up in a really big way, which is why we say, well, he's a good example of what we could do with these simple practices. Uh, but the idea here is that that is not a religious experience. That is not a, it's, you know, because his words were passed on and we have his advice today, one could call it a religious tradition, but it's not a religion per se, as we might normally think of some of them. But the spirit of it has never been, do these things on this day and then you are good and do these, if you don't do these things or you do these other things, then you are bad. The core of Buddhism in particular, and I'm, I know you're asking about meditation in general, but I'll come back to that. The core of Buddhism in general, in, in particular, is that there's, we are all inherently wakeful. We're all basically peaceful, basically good as is. That's who we are. And if you, I mean, have kids, if you have a nephew, a godchild of some sort, you know, like any any sort of kids in your life, 
you see them come into the world and they aren't sitting around being like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? That's learned behavior. They come in from the sense of, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm whole and complete. And then they get picked on by society and you know all the other influences thereof and start to second guess that. So the, this is not even like a, a Buddhist teaching. It's like we see this in our, in our life. This is just experience that we might have of, oh yeah, you know, when I meditate, for example, I might have a moment of just resting with the breath and I feel good and whole complete and everything's okay in that moment. I'm not mentally freaking out about my finances. I'm not freaking out about my friendship or whatever. It's, it's like, I'm just okay. I'm here. I'm present. And that's not a religious thing. That's a human thing. And that's just something that we can discover for ourselves. I think pretty much any rational person Here's what has been said, what you've been saying about meditation. Here's what they have read, right? I think that this is something that everybody would agree. Like, this is a good idea. I should do this. But we just don't. Like, I've done it before. I thought it was fantastic. And I just don't do it. Why do you think that is? How can we change that? I don't think, do you exercise in some form? I do, yes, in the mornings, yeah. What do you do? Running, basically. Great. So you put on the shoes and you step out and it's super cold in that moment. And in that moment, you don't say, I can't wait to do this. You say, oh, I know I'm going to do this. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know it's going to take a minute for me to warm up. I know I'm going to be tired after. I'm going to have to stretch. But I'm doing it because you have your own why, right? Like it may be yeah. because I like the way it feels after, because I want to lose weight, because whatever it might be, it's, it's always very personal. But same thing here. I think there's discomfort and the payoff, if you will, is a little bit less obvious than some other things. Because we could measure, oh, I've been running for three months and I lost this many pounds during that time. We, it's harder for us to be like, oh, I've been meditating for three months and I am 10% kinder than I used to be. Right? Like, it's just, how do you measure? Yeah, I'm a little sure. bit more present with my family than I was before. It's, it's often something that we are sitting out with people and they notice that we're acting differently. They say, what's going on? You say, I don't know. Say, Maybe it's because you've been meditating. <laughs> you know, it's sort of, it almost gets mirrored back to us. It's so subtle. I don't like refer back to my spreadsheet and say, well, I'm 10% happier today than I was last week. You know, I, I see what you mean, right? It's not a quant easily quantifiable metric. Yeah, it would be a lot easier if it was, but it's, the effects are huge and they are, I mean, I'm, work with people for years at a time and um you know someone would come to me and say gosh compared to when we start working together a year ago i just feel like i'm handling this whole chaotic pandemic family situation work issue whatever it is so much better than i would have if i hadn't been meditating do you think though that is from the practice of meditation or because we know ourselves more and become with our okay thoughts like, where do you think that peace kind of comes from? With this bombardment of thoughts, most people don't realize that they walk around with this little inner narrator, I guess, that just constantly chattering away. You know, saying like, okay, after this, I'm going to go do that. And then after this thing, I've got that meeting and what's going on with that person, right? I need to talk to them about this. And it's just constant, like, chatter. And it's, we're listening to our own inner radio station there. And sometimes that radio station is actually quite cruel. Sometimes the radio station is self-aggressive. Why do you say that? You know, you should have prepared for this. You jerk. Why are you like this? 
And meditation to some degree is like turning the dial down and either not listening to it or not like it sort of becomes background noise and we're more present. Often in meditation, the I was talking to a friend of mine who's a colleague uh, earlier, Susan Piver. She's written many books on meditation as well. And my favorite definition of meditation comes from her, which is substituting your discursive thinking for another object of your attention. So the conscious act of saying, I'm going to stop focusing my attention on that inner narrator, that radio, and focus it on something else is radically shifting the way, like it's just rerouting the, out of the whole operating system. Here, I'm saying, no, this is not what I'm doing right now. I acknowledge the thought. I come back to the breath. Maybe that same thought comes up again. Oh, nope, I'm acknowledging it. I'm coming back to the breath. Every time we do that, we are rewiring the brain. We are retraining it that we don't have to chase after every anxiety-producing thought that comes up in our life. We can make a different choice, a choice to be present, a choice to be mindful, a choice to be, in some sense, kinder to ourselves. And that's really good training for the rest of our life so that we can learn to be present in every other waking hour. We can be present with our tea. We can be present with our spouse. We can be present with a good meal and actually start to enjoy it more. How often do you generally recommend, like somebody should do this, this often, this long? It sometimes varies, but I would say for many people, I would recommend something along the lines of like 10 minutes a day and trying to make it a daily practice. Now, I also acknowledge that most people have like their nine to five or some version thereof Monday to Friday, and then the weekends are a little different. And so it's sort of hard to get into a real rhythm because there's sort of two cycles. There's the A cycle of like my workday schedule and then my B cycle, the weekend cycle. Um, so if a daily practice ended up becoming five days a week, for example, because we get thrown off here and there, I don't think that's the end of the world. But I do think starting at that 10 minute mark is really powerful because quite frankly, we all do have 10 minutes a day. I work with all sorts of people who are, you know, hold really rigorous jobs, people who have kids and their kids are sitting on their lap while they meditate. Like people make it work, which is, it's, it's beautiful to see, but 10 minutes, we all, we all can do it somewhere in there. It's, it's interesting, right? Like sometimes your brain gets so tired that I feel like I've been doing all this stuff all day. I don't have time to think anymore. Right. Like, can you just meditate just sitting on the couch? You can. I mean, I often think it's a great thing to sort of have an established corner or an established chair or something that says, that's where I go to meditate. Something that magnetizes and says, that's where I go to do the thing. Absolutely. I think that could be really helpful. And again, it doesn't have to be elaborate. It could be, it could be a meditation cushion. We can mark the space with an incense burner, a candle, an image of someone we admire, a statue, any number of things. But something that's like, oh, yeah, that's where I get to meditate. That can be really helpful in setting up a practice. But to answer the question more directly, because I've been all over. I, 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 there's like always the simple answer, then there's the elaborate yeah, no, answer. No, I know you're inspiring. Yeah. But yes, you could absolutely meditate on the couch. And, you know, I often do. You know, like that's in, I finish the morning coffee or tea and I say, okay, I've got some time. And I just sort of settle in and I... I just practice there. But I think it gets a little chaotic if, for example, we do have kids and they're running around and they want to play with us or whatever our version may be. You mentioned you've been teaching for a long time. What generally what generally do you find holds people back? Self-doubt is, is probably a good one. I mean, not a good one, but, you know, it's a big one uh, that many of us struggle with, that there is some sense of disheartenment once we get going. Like, 
As I mentioned before, something must be wrong with me if I still have thoughts. I thought I should be able to sit down, maybe even press something behind the ear, and then all of a sudden, like the mind shuts off, like a computer shutting down or something, and I should just be without thoughts. And because I'm sitting here and everyone else looks so still, they must be completely absorbed in the breath, and I'm sitting here freaking out about it because I'm not very good at it, and they get very disheartened very quickly. Um, or they do it a few times because they actually listen to a conversation like ours and they're like, all right, I'll give it two weeks. I'll try it. And then two weeks roll around and they're like, ah, oh, I'm still myself. <laughs> you know, like There's some sense of like deep self-aggression for so many of us. And the sense of doubt that I'm talking about, it's not like a, you know, a doubt like, oh, I doubt I look good in orange. You know, it's a sense of this insidious, I mentioned the inner narrator before, my friend uh, and the co-author of one of my books, How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People, Megan Watterson, she has a great phrase in there, which is our inner bitch radio. It's that little voice. It's like, oh my God, you little jerk. Why are you like this? Why, why didn't you prepare better for blah, blah, blah? It's just that constant, like, oh, you know, that self-flagellation that so many people do, like really deep, oh, painful voice that, is constantly undermining us. Um, that's the same voice that says, oh, I can never meditate. Meditation does help us turn that voice down um, or not buy into that voice so much, I should say. But uh, we sort of have to do a little bit of it to get there. And so it's, you know, the thing that holds us back from a consistent practice is also the thing that we learn to work with once we've started a practice, which is why it's actually really helpful to come full circle, to work with a meditation teacher on a regular basis, to have someone that you either connect with in classes or one-on-one -on -one or any number of things that might um, establish a relationship so that when these sorts of thoughts come up or when we get disheartened and say, I want to leave the practice and I don't want to do it anymore, that we could come back to um, some sense of support. And I feel like that's, it's not like we need to find you know, the wise person on the top of the mountain. We just need to find someone who's a little bit ahead of us on the path and who's been doing it for a little bit longer so that they they can be like, yeah, I've been there. I know exactly what that's like. And here's how I worked with it. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Sure. What if I meditate and I just find out that my life kind of sucks and I don't want to meditate anymore? What should I do? Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean... <laughs> If you find out that your life sucks, then you probably want to make some changes in your life. So if we talk about becoming familiar with, we go back to that phrase from however long ago, the sense of, okay, I'm getting familiar with what's going on with me. A natural discernment starts to arise out of our meditation. What aspects of my life do I want to cultivate more of? Which ones might I want to cut out or you know, at least cut down on? So if we're saying, oh my gosh, that friend, oh, they're such a jerk, and we come back to the breath. Oh, these other friends, you know, what a jerk. I come back to the breath. At some point in my, you know, weeks of meditation, I might say, huh, maybe I don't want to spend as much time as I do with those people. It doesn't feel good to me, right? It's it, like, even for the most dense of us, such as myself, we start to say, oh, that's a choice I can make in my life. I can make a better choice. So we start to realize that some parts of our life are not so great. So we say, okay, good. Now I have that information. Where do I want to direct my time and energy? And we can actually make, we can actually make um, good changes in our life. So I think that would be great if you discovered, you know, here are some aspects of my life that I really don't like, and here are some ones I really do want to spend more time on. Turns out that I've got, you know, this group of friends that really inspire me, and I always feel like I have meaningful conversations with them. Huh, maybe I spend more time with them. You can go both ways. I, this person says, 
I try to meditate, but I just fall asleep. Is that bad or is that okay? I always joke that there is an ancient Buddhist remedy for anyone who finds themselves consistently falling asleep in meditation. And it's really easy. And that remedy is to get more sleep. Um, <laughs> I'm kicking a dead horse here, but like, if that's what you discover in meditation, that's what you learn about yourself. Yeah, that's good information for you to have because probably you are exhausted and you don't re you're like probably not taking great care of the body. And maybe you do need to get more sleep or maybe you need to prioritize rest in other ways as well. Like actually, you know, taking long walks and not always being on screens or whatever it is for you that might feel more relaxing. So that when we do go to bed, we have deep sleep. And I'm finding that's actually a really big issue for many people in the pandemic. They're having trouble with sleep. They're finding like, oh, you know, I'm staring at this screen all day and I'm staring at that screen all night. And then I get into bed and there's all these worries. I never actually take any time to talk to anyone about them. And I just stay up and I feel wired and, you know, I'm being exhausted during the day and I'm up all night. And I think if, if that is the case for this person or anyone out there, I think we really do, you know, need to do some deep body relaxation. And we always start meditation classes with, at least in my work that I do, with actually getting into the body and getting to know the body. When we get in bed, that's a time that we might want to sleep. When we meditate, that's actually a time that we're trying to be wakeful. That's a time that we might move into a sense of relaxation where we are present and relaxed. The goal is to be relaxed and open and wakeful, to be present to what's currently going on so that we can become more present to what's going on in the rest of our life. But here, um, if we find that we're like toppling over, in addition to getting more sleep, there are some things I would recommend. One would be to do some simple stretching so that we get into the body early, even before we do a short body scan. Uh, another would be to drink some water or some, you know, some green tea, something that isn't like gonna like wire us, but something that does wake up the body a little bit. There are certain things that we can do. And even in the posture itself, like sometimes we find that people like slouch over a lot. And this, you know, that's actually not helpful in terms of rousing the energy in the body. So even lifting up through the top of the head and elongating the spine can bring about some sense of energy, keeping the shoulders slightly back, keeping the palms down on the thighs. These actually make us feel a little bit more uplifted, even though we're also feeling relaxed. So that's sort of the, the less snarky answer, but I do suspect for anyone who consistently is falling asleep in meditation, that they might need to look at their sleep cycle and whether they are getting the rest that they need, particularly as I mentioned in this pandemic, there are many different kinds of motiva or motivation, meditation, I mean. Is one kind superior to the other, in your opinion? It's a great question, and I'm going to be diplomatic. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've got a preference, right? I come from a Buddhist tradition, so I'm going to be like, everyone should be doing mindfulness. Mindfulness of the breath is a great place to start. Part of that is because it is so easy, so simple, the technique, right? We take an uplifted and relaxed posture. We connect to the body breathing. When we get distracted, we come back to the breath. You, those are the three steps. You just learned them. Congratulations, you can go meditate, which is a little bit different than some other traditions where we might need to go through a weekend retreat to receive a mantra, which is you know a particular phrase that we would repeat, or we need to create a particular situation that we're listening to pleasant sounds, or we um, you know focus on emotions, and emotions are often very ephemeral and very difficult to focus on for somebody who's brand new to it and so on and so forth. So I have a preference, but at the same time, it's a little bit like asking me, 
is asking a guitar player, what's, what's the best musical instrument out there? The guitar player is probably going to say guitar. Same thing. What inspired you to write the, to write your new book, Take Back Your Mind? Yeah. So the new book, Take Back Your Mind, Buddhist Advice for Anxious Times. And it's, I mean, the short answer is anxious times. It's like the last part of the title, right? Right. That we live in these ridiculous anxious times. Now, I grew up with anxiety, even though I started meditating when I was six. But like this was, you know, there was a lot of issues that came up over my life, um, different forms of anxiety that arose, um, deep losses in my life that, you know, really pulled the rug out from under me. And even though I was a meditation, a meditator, and even a meditation teacher, I realized that I needed to also work with my mind in all the post-meditation hours to actually start to like rewire around anxiety, rewire around my response to it and the ways that I would hold myself in pain. And the more I started doing that work, the more I started noticing how many other people around me were also struggling in the same way. And this is a lot of what we work with in meditation, which is getting comfortable with not knowing and uncertainty and discomfort. And like for the first, not the first time, but for a, maybe the first time in my life, it's not personal anxiety of like, oh, here's what I'm going through, or even interpersonal, like you and your friend are having an issue. It's societal anxiety. Like there's, even though we live in different places, the idea of, when I say lockdown, someone, you know, living in Australia understands what I mean. And we're at a time where I just feel like anxiety is reaching all time high, and yet no one's talking about it. It's like this I hate when people are like, well, the second pandemic is blank, but it is like, it's something that so many of us are suffering from. Final question. What is the best advice you've ever given somebody? What is the best advice you've ever received? Gosh, what an interesting question. I don't know if I've ever given really good advice, <laughs> you know, for all of my, it's, I don't mean to be self-deprecating here, but for all of my years of teaching meditation, all I do is essentially share what I've learned um, from teachers who were generous and taught me. So it's not like I came up with any of it. You know, whatever I share with people, it's something that actually comes from centuries and centuries of people who, you know, I learned I learned with someone who currently is alive and who learned with someone and they learned with someone and they learned with someone all the way back for thousands of years. So I feel like a lot of the advice I give, I'll just say maybe more recently around the book of and, and anxiety is to realize that we could actually make a choice around anxiety and working with our mind, that we don't have to live in an anxious state. There's an, an, an analogy in Buddhism that you're in the woods and out of nowhere an arrow comes and hits you in the arm. And the thing we ought to do probably is to, take that arrow out and tend to our healing. And yet many of us in that moment, when we feel wounded, when we feel like, oh, there's pain or stress or anxiety in our, or stress in our life, we say, ah, oh, you know what? This is so typical. Like this is such a thing that would happen to me on a day like today. I not, you know, no one else gets hit in the arm by arrows. It's just me. Like this is, you know, such a thing. I bet this was, you know, who shot me? I bet it was that person who I don't like. This is so typical of them. And we just keep telling ourselves story upon story upon story. And that is holding us in that state of pain. And that is known as the second arrow. So this is the two arrow analogy. First arrow, there's pain that comes up as part of life. There are stressful situations that happen to all of us. The second arrow is the stories that we then re tell ourselves to reify 
that state of pain, to hold ourselves in that state of stress. And so I suppose the quote unquote best advice I might be able to give around this particular book is we don't have to do the second arrow, that we don't have to hold ourselves in that state of, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? We can actually retrain the mind to do something else, to actually become more present. So that's the advice. Um, and then the best advice that I have ever received. Oh, it's such a good question. I wish I could give a more thoughtful answer and give you the actual best advice. But the answer that comes to my mind, the first one that pops up of good advice that I have received, was um, my last book was on the topic of heartbreak. It was called Love Hurts, Buddhist Advice for the Heartbroken. And I get more emails about that book than any other book, maybe not surprisingly, because that's another thing where people really feel like no one knows my pain, no one's ever been through this before. And then they pick up a book like that and they're like, oh, this person <laughs> sort of highlighting all the things that happen when I have a broken heart. Um, so it's very sweet actually to be in touch with, with readers about these books. I, I, I enjoy that tremendously. But the, in, in that, there was, there's a lot of stories of my own heartbreak and the learning and unlearning that I had to do, particularly in my 20s. And there is a moment where everything really fell apart for me that I had um, lost my job, my best friend died, and my fiance had broken up with me. And I called a friend, a friend who coincidentally just had a baby yesterday. Um, and I said to him, Brett, I need you to tell me that I'm going to love again, because I actually don't believe that's going to happen. I think this was it. And he said, listen, I know that you will love again, because that's in your nature. That's who you are. And I don't know if it will be a long-term romantic situation that turns into marriage. I don't know if it will be other situations where people come and go in your life. I don't know if it will be lots of friends and family, but I know that you will lead a life marked by love. And that was so meaningful to me at that moment in that deep like state of despair. And when people reach out, there's literally, there's a chapter in the book where I tell this story and I say, if you feel this way, send me your phone number and I'll, I'll, tell you the same thing. So I find myself calling people a couple times a week. This book came out five years ago. Still, a couple times a week. Uh, except for the people internationally who I have to, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to email you back right, if that's right. okay. But I deliver the same message, which is, you know, even these devastating, heartbreaking emotions that we go through are impermanent. They're subject to impermanence just like everything else. And that ultimately uh, we do heal and the pain fades to some degree and we do love again. That's not a Lodra thing. That's a human thing we all do. So that was uh, beautiful advice that I received, and I'm happy now to be passing on to others. I want to thank Lodro so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter, and we have also included his information in the episode description. Okay, now let's go ahead and bring in a man who's great at finding himself, but in a completely different way. John Shaw. What does internal you think of you? That he has some work to do. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> mine generally kind of thinks like, hey, you're doing all right, but you still ain't shit. My internal you is like, you could be doing a lot more. Right. You know, could be doing a lot better. Not that you're a piece of shit, but, you know, just that you could yeah. be doing more. I don't I don't feel like my internal me thinks that I'm a piece of shit, but my internal me kind of thinks like kind of wasting your time here, buddy. You probably should be doing something a little bit more productive with your life. 
it is kind of depressing, man. I'm hitting that age that you've already hit where I'm like, man, what, yeah. have, what, what have I done with the last 10, 15 years of my life? Like For people who are younger than John and I, yeah. it hits around your mid-30s where you're like, man, I've really wasted most of this time and <laughs> I mean, done. It's and money, kind of man. like. And money, really? too. Like, you know it, right in your mid thirties is when you realize you've been on like a stationary bike for most of your life. Like you're doing a lot of stuff, but you haven't gotten anywhere. Haven't got anywhere. Like nowhere. None, none of my career goals have been achieved. Not one of them. <laughs> not a single one for me either. <laughs> I mean, like maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe family wise, cause you know, we're married, we have kids, but uh, even on that aspect, it's like, you know, I feel like it doesn't you like you don't get as much enjoyment or satisfaction out of that because it's kind of like two people did it right like yeah you did it but somebody else helped right <laughs> like yeah, what, I mean, how I much mean, credit can I take for my kids right like <laughs> I just I'm, put in ten seconds of effort man that's all I had to do and here they <laughs> then they showed up. I'm not even sure that mine are mine, so I, maybe I didn't put any effort. I don't know. Do you think your kids will be better off if they're not actually your kids? Oh man, my youngest looks just like me, and I and it's a, it's a she's a girl. Uh, if you haven't listened to this podcast before, uh, and I, I just think like this is going to be terrible for her. If she grows up looking kind of like me. All right, so we've established that we're both kind of failures in our in our internal minds. That's good. But I mean, then you ask other people, uh, like if I was to ask 10 people to like evaluate my last 15 years, I think I would get a pretty even split. Some people would be like, oh yeah, he's done a lot. Other people would be like, he ain't done shit. So really, I mean, it's it's really tough to kind of be your own judge, I think, uh, uh, in terms of kind of what we're talking about. That's true, right? And I feel like if you had a, the opposite opinion, if you were like, man, I've really, I'm, uh, man, I'm winning this. Nothing but A's for me on this grade. <laughs> you're probably like a huge douchebag or you're just, de or you're delusional and your life really sucks. So yeah, maybe I mean, it's it, good that we kind of have self-loathing. Which is surprising coming from you uh, that you have any self-loathing, but, uh, but I'll take you know, it. I, I don't know how much self-loathing I have necessarily as a general feeling of like, ah, I probably could have done better here. <laughs> okay, let's come up with a plan right now for me and you to uh, to get our lives back on track. Like what's what's your step one going to be? Well, I'm for me, like career wise, it, it is what it is. I mean, you know, you, you have to look to the future, right? We'll see what happens. For me, it's all about like physical, like I got to I got to start being happy with myself, man. I got the I got the dad bod times six going on. God, could you imagine how angry your heart is at your brain right now? Just no, like who, who is your heart angrier at? Your brain or your stomach? Uh, we poke fun, but my heart's not in that bad. It's not in bad shape. My heart's not in bad shape. Listen, nobody can see you giving me those eyes over the video chat. Nobody can see it, but they could probably, you know, they could probably feel it. Okay. All right. That's that was my big question. So it sounds like we've got a lot of work to do for ourselves. Uh, what's your thing, man? Let's go. Let's uh, let's get it done. All right. Let's give some shout outs here today. To uh, we're gonna start on the. Do you grand. have a giant pimp? Do you have a giant pimple on your nose? Hmm. I do. Yes. 
Dang, dude, that's a big one. Oh, you've been picking at it, too. I have another one down here. I have another one up there. Man, I broke out this week. I don't know what's going on. You're not on. a pimply guy, either. I'm Are not. You a, I'm I've not. never really been a pimply guy, either, necessarily. I don't know <laughs> what's what's spurring this uh, this question, but I, I actually have really nice skin, I'd like to think, for a, for a man. <laughs> Okay. All right. I mean, those three giant pimples on your face would. <laughs> oh shit! There's <laughs> another one right there. Dude, you got another one. God dang it! See, dude. that's how. What's your strategy now? Did you pick it? Did you pop it, or did you try to like scratch it out of there? Yeah, I'm. A, I'm a scratcher for sure. Like I just take my fingernail and I just. Really? That's a terrible way to do. That. I don't pop, man. Popping is. Oh, popping is gross. If I can just scratch it off and like just. You know, whatever, like take it off and just throw it away or whatever. I don't want to pop it and have the pus come out and then blood like fuck that. You're just scratching it off of your face? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why that's, it's bloody. I, dude, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Also, my hair is like crazy today. but Yeah, dude, you look like Herman <laughs> Munster. <laughs> you know what's going on. Listen, I got I've never stuff. heard of somebody scratch. So I've never heard of somebody. I've heard of people who pop them and then like scratch it afterwards. But I've never heard of somebody who just straight scratches the whole thing off. I mean, obviously, you have to have a whitehead on it or it's or it doesn't do anything. But as soon as it gets a whitehead, man, I just. Wow, that is it. A- terrible idea yeah dude that's a terrible idea why are you doing that i would actually argue against your point i think more people do that than anyone does actually pop a pimple like i've never heard of somebody just straight scratching it off i don't think it's that uncommon i i don't remember the last time i you know took whatever my two fingers or my two hands and you know like applied pressure and popped a pimple i've never i don't i don't think i've done that maybe ever wow you should try it, man. It could change your life. It could be the change in life that you're really looking for. <laughs> All right. Let, let's uh, change our lives here and make some people feel special that listen to our BS every week. Uh, all right. We'll start with uh, Belinda. Appreciate you. Uh, Catherine. Robert G. Uh, Rebecca. David Hecker. Liz DeLucia. Emily Gonzalez. Mm. Jesse Robinson. Calder Harvey and uh, Jerry Schumann, aka Jerbear831. You guys, uh, you gals and ladies, get the shout outs this week. So, okay, great to you. What okay. was his name? Jerbear? Yeah, Jerbear831. Okay. <laughs> what do you All think? Right. Of the, do you think that he was born? What month is eight? August? August. August. You yep. think he was born August 31st? That that would probably be my guess, my my main guess. Sure, he's throwing out his birthday on there, man. That's not a good look, buddy. That's <laughs> you're, not good. You're fine, Jared Bear, and we appreciate you checking us out. Jared Bear uh, better have some password protect. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, what what uh you know from your lovely wife? What what are you more likely to get in trouble over? Uh, missing a birthday or missing an anniversary? Oh, I can't miss an anniversary because it's basically no. I shouldn't. Well, speaking of password protections, I can't miss an anniversary because it's basically in some way related to all of the passwords or locks on my door. So it's pretty hard for me to forget that. Okay, I. Funny enough, our uh, one of our anniversaries is our main password as well. So I don't think it's that in common. 
No, it's probably a lot of people, which is probably a good way to break into people's houses. Like, what's their anniversary? <laughs> because everybody shares that all over the place. God, if I was like an identity threat criminal, oh my God, that'd be the easiest way to do it, right? You could just well, hack into anything with that stuff. Well, I'm sure they have thought of that, but if they haven't, you just provided the open door, that's for sure. I'm sure they've probably figured it out, right? Yeah. Like pretty much everybody's password is simple in one way or another because otherwise we couldn't remember the damn things. It'd be too difficult. Everybody's been hacked. So, I mean, every method has been used, I'm sure. Also, I don't forget my wife's birthday, not because I remember her birthday, but because I remember my dog's birthday, which is next <laughs> to my wife's birthday. So every time I'm like, oh, Puka's birthday's coming up. It's going to be awesome. She's going to be this old. I'm like, oh, crap. It's my wife's birthday too. So I remember <laughs> my wife's birthday because of my dog. Wow. I assume she's not with an earshot of what you just said. No, she's getting her hair done, I think. Oh, well, you're you're a good guy there staying with the kids. All right. <laughs> uh, Godzilla or King Kong, who's going to win a battle between the two? There's, I don't even understand how that is a battle, to be honest with you. Like, Godzilla is gigantic. How big is King Kong? That's always seemed to be a ridiculous thing, that Godzilla was supposed to be like hundreds of feet tall, and King Kong is just a kind of big gorilla. Like, that should be Godzilla every single time. I don't even understand how King Kong is in the conversation. Well, I'm going to go against you without any knowledge of anything and say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a vote for King Kong. Who would you rather have as a nickname, Godzilla or King Kong? Ooh. That's a tough one. I, you know, I would probably, I'd probably go nickname Godzilla, to be honest. You'd rather be John Godzilla Shaw? <laughs> yeah, than John King Kong Shaw, sure. You can't be kind of chubby and have the nickname King Kong. It sounds too much like you're getting made fun of, but you can be a little bit chubby and have the nickname Godzilla. Well, then I guess, we, I guess we've solved it. Uh, onion rings or tater tots? This tater tots pretty much every time for me. I was trying to think of a single time when I would ever... It's almost like a, like if the waiter asked me that question, I would be angry at him <laughs> or her. But it's like, why are you tater tots? It's a stupid question. Tater tots are definitely more versatile for sure. And I've never felt like onion rings is nearly the kind of side that tater tot is. Tater onion rings is much more of an appetizer than a side. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'd agree with that, but I agree with tater tots over onion rings. So I would take tater tots every single time. I could order onion rings as an appetizer, but if somebody said, would you like for your side with your hamburger, tater tots or onion rings, I would not get onion rings. Was like, oh, I want a little bit more to eat. <laughs> onion rings, not as filling. I will say this. They charge a lot more for onion rings, and I don't understand why onion rings are you know, semi-expensive. You would think that tater tots would be more expensive. Sure. Because you can get a lot of rings out of an onion, I would assume. And onions aren't expensive. Nope. That's like what we do every every week on the podcast here. We just peel, you know, a layer off the onion. I like how you, I like the effort. I mean, the it wasn't there, but you know, <laughs> you put a there. good effort out there. Okay, all right. What's you, you got? Anything else? No, man. That's uh, I'm interested oh, to see. Oh, I know what it is. It's the first episode of the month. What's the candle of the month? Uh, so let's see. So I actually, I just, <laughs> minutes before I logged on to film this with you, I uh, I just lit a, uh, not in this room, so I can't get it, but it's an apple cider vinegar candle. Why do you have vinegar? No one likes the smell of vinegar. Like you walk into a house and you want it to smell like vinegar. 
it's quite potent, but it's 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 good. It's like a even though it's sixty degrees here in Michigan today, it's like uh you know, it's like a good aroma for like uh the cold weather going into the, the warmer weather, you know. Okay. Fall, fall into winter, spring into summer or whatever, winter into spring. Uh so yeah. But if I had to recommend one kind of candle right now, anything flowery, you know, any of those popular flower scents. Be, let's let's be specific here, okay? People are tuning in to hear some real recommendations, not, I recommend a candle that smells good. I mean, anything rose is really good. Tulip is really good. You know, I mean, I just had actually, I just bought one, a chocolate decadence rose candle. So rose and chocolate. I'm curious to see what that smells like. God, I just how your wife has not left you. It's just I don't fucking understand. <laughs> My internal me is telling me I probably shouldn't have just said that out loud. No, huh? <laughs> About your chocolate internal rose? No, my chocolate decadent rose candle, man. It's awesome. What's your uh what's your lighting method of choice? Do you ever use matches or do you go with that thingy? Uh, no, you always go matches. I don't I don't use uh for what you're talking, I don't even, I guess it's what, just a, like an automatic lighter or whatever, or just You a, have actual matches around? I do, yep. You might be, then, the best person that I know at striking a match. Like, if we had one match, if we were stranded in the wilderness, and we had one match to start a fire, I would hand it to you. No, I, I wouldn't want that. One match to start a fire? You've got lots of practice, though. A lot of people don't have a lot of practice striking matches. It requires a certain bit of coordination. I, I guess I never... Uh, I mean, we're old enough to come from that generation, though. Like, striking a match is not... It's not, like, ancient, right? Like, we, we, I've done it I've done it probably millions... No, not millions. Hundreds of thousands of times. I wouldn't be shocked if people under the age of 20 don't know how to strike a match. Or have... Or not, not don't know, but have not done it. I would I would go as far as saying people do, they wouldn't know how for the first couple times. Did you ever try to strike it off something else? I, I you need uh, yeah. to work up. You need to work up to the way you can scratch strike it off your face. <laughs> if you if you walked into a room, struck a match off your face, and lit a candle, I'd be fucking impressed. I mean, I'd have to fucking grow my. You know, it's all the stuff. It's all the. I've actually looked this up. It's all how you do your facial hair. If it's really stubby, you know, if it, if you can get that friction. Wait, you've looked up specifically how to strike a match off your face? I mean, it's it's not... It probably was part of another search I was doing, and I just came up and I read about it. <laughs> you looked this up. How to strike matches off your face. Well, off anything, you know? I was just, I was just curious. Okay. I mean, that wouldn't be... Tops on my Google search list. <laughs> I mean, that's probably one of the coolest things that somebody could do where you're just be like, man, that dude's a badass. <laughs> it's right? kind of like the, the people who can take bites out of beer cans, like the aluminum beer cans. They just take a chunk out of it. I've always been impressed with that. I would be much more impressed with striking a match off your face than biting out of a beer can. I don't know. I've I've always also wanted to do where you smash a beer can against your forehead, you know. But I've I've never. I've never... <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any. That doesn't. That's not manly at all to me. That's like that guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's a hundred percent chance he's gonna knock himself unconscious doing that. Okay. All right. Are you ready for? Are we? Are the way to your top five? Yeah, we're uh, we're breezing through this one here today. 
Okay. All right. Our top five is top five pieces of playground equipment. <laughs> What's your number five? Uh, so I went with a sandbox. I don't consider that to be a piece of playground equipment. I consider that to be at the playground, but I don't really feel like that's a piece of playground equipment. It's more of a playground feature. <laughs> Does that mean, do you want me to substitute it? Because, I mean, I, I have other things that I can substitute it for, but I, I really like the sandbox, so that's why I put it at my number five. The problem with me, though, then it would be like also having, like that would be kind of like having where they have, like, What's the thing where you you skip like the numbers and you go and you skip in certain ways? Like it would be a feature like that, right? Like oh, there's a hill. Like there's a hill at the playground. <laughs> but I mean, okay, the sand, but, sandbox is usually connected to like a, a play gym or some kind of uh, equipment. Like it's not, you know, I do agree with you that it's it's uh, by itself, but it's usually underneath or right next to something. It's not like okay. hey, there's a hill, go climb it or run up it. All right, if you had to switch in, all right, if if it was if you had two things in at number 5, what else would you put up there at number 5 then next to the sandbox? Probably a seesaw. Okay. You don't see a lot of those anymore. <laughs> no, you don't. No. Pro- probably good things too because probably. I know when I was younger they were used as weapons sometimes. Yeah. Did you ever launch anybody off of it? Of course, cuz I was the biggest kid. Yeah, dude. Here comes John <laughs> Godzilla Joel out to the playground. TC saw. Hey, Run! Uh, hey, he's we gonna want, jump on. <laughs> we want Chris to go flying. Where's Joel at? <laughs> Launch him. You, uh, you my, Ray. Right. My, my number five is monkey bars, man. Okay, I that's kind of it's kind of too low for monkey bars, man. I don't know. They're like that's like a staple. Yeah, but it's not necessarily fun. Like, is it that fun to just swing around? Like, it's not really that fun. Everybody just does it to see if you can do it, and then they're like, okay, I can still do it. But nobody's like, wee, monkey bars. It's not fun, actually, and only certain kinds of people can do it. It's actually more fun to, like, get on top of them and try to walk across them than it is to actually be on monkey bars. (laughs) Uh, Which I've I've done neither, so I have no expertise. Okay, what's your number four? Uh, A spring rider. Oh, that little thing that you get on and like go back and forth really fast that you always feel like if you get on it as an adult that this thing's going to launch you into the stratosphere if you fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. yep. Okay. I can see that. It's honorable mention. It's honorable mention for me. Okay. Mostly because I didn't grow up in playgrounds that had that kind of stuff. I don't know what fancy playgrounds at country clubs you were going to, but I didn't have that kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, You had cornfields and... We yeah. had a rock. Here's your playground. It's a rock. <laughs> What's your number four? Anything climbing related, right? They've got too many different options, I think, to kind of spread it out. But, like, they got, like, the little rock wall climbing thing. They've got the little net climbing thing. Some of them used to have tires. Any kind yeah, of climbing that's... climbing apparatus on the playground itself. Yeah, that's fair, I think. I I don't know if I would class, you know, like, stick everything into just a general classification but you're gonna split it out though but this yeah i don't feel like there's 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 too many variables because a lot of them some of them have those ladders that you know like go into U. but it's all kind of the same thing it's a climbing related thing for sure uh my okay. number three is the jungle gym the gym ju- i'm again i didn't grow up in these fancy playgrounds i didn't have a jungle gym <laughs> 
You mean um, that separate thing? That thing was – that's – you know what? Actually, I'm going to take this back. That is the least fun playground equipment. There's oh. no fun to be had in a jungle gym. That thing that like looks like the Terror Dome. Yeah, well, I mean, there's different shapes, you know. But right, yeah. but it's no fun. It's never been any fun. But it's it, it, it's easy access. It's easily accessible to kids of all weights, shapes, sizes. It's not like monkey bars where you have to be, you know, a skinny kid to go, you know, through them or, or strong upper body. Right. I sense a general pattern that you maybe had difficulty supporting your body weight as a child. I still, I still never could climb the rope in gym class. Never still. Jars John, he's still trying to climb the rope, coach. He's not gonna. It's not gonna happen for him. Can you do a pull up? Can you do a pull up? Uh, probably not. No. In your prime, could prime John Shaw do a pull up? Yeah, I, yeah. I used to be able to do. I, I would do like sets of five, which isn't impressive Ooh. by any means, but. Uh, you know, I was what two sixty, two seventy. That I could do them, so that's pretty good. Um, okay, yeah, all right. But but they probably weren't real pull ups, though. I used no. like momentum. You know what I mean? Like I never came to a complete stop. So oh, okay. Like I was almost like a, a fucking spring going up and down on them. You know what I mean? Wait, were you jumping? No, no, no. But like when I would get to the top, I would go back down and then like you know, uh, use my really? momentum to like spring me back up. Like I didn't stop at the bottom and then use my, you know, back muscles oh. to. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're going to have really bad shoulders. Um, <laughs> they want number three. No one cares right. about it. My number three is the, the tunnel. Everybody loved the tunnel in the playground, like any kind of tunnel that there was in there, right? Yeah. Once again, I, I, uh, I had some issues with the tunnel growing up so dude you weren't that big you got stuck in the tunnel were you yeah but like there'd be you get two kids in there and like you know <laughs> oh, you, you, could, you couldn't move man so dang i once made out with a girl in a playground tunnel <laughs> <laughs> very highly overrated the playground tunnel maybe for you <laughs> shout out to what's her face i don't remember her name <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um, it happens. Okay, what's your number two? I, th- I think I think the two and one are pr- probably should be pretty universal, honestly. Yeah, so my number two is the swing. Yeah, that's my number two, too, is swing. And then the number one is the slide? It has to be. I don't know what else even rivals the slide in terms of a playground. But what kind right? of slide? Well, I, I, now look, I like to – I generally – Right, like if I'm if I'm gonna slide up and down on something, I want it to be uh, long and straight, and it's also got to be hard. If I'm gonna slide up and down on something, it needs to be long, straight, and hard. I, I agree. I, I'm I'm more of a fan of the the Kirby the Kirby slides, like the right? hard you like, like the, give? yeah, I like the the ones that kind of you know they 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 have a nice curve to them. They can get not- you at different angles. You're looking at you're looking at better angles, huh? Yeah, you, you, it's all about the angles. I mean, you got to you know, be wind and dined. You're not just going to go straight to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not just going to go up and down and have fun. I, you know, I want to go around. I want, you know, angles are a big, a big part of it for sure. Okay. Yeah, I've just never really had a great time on a, one of those kind of like circle slides. I've always been like, ooh, this isn't as fun as a slide that it was just straight up and <laughs> I mean, down. Once again, man, I, I must not have had very good experiences, but I could never make it to the bottom. Like I, I would was, get, you... I would get stuck. Like my shirt would come up. I remember that happening a lot. Like my shirt would come up, and like 
you know, the, the plastic against your skin, like you would stop. That Dude, was, you had a rough childhood. <laughs> yeah, that was that was no fun, man. Uh, true story. I, I actually got <laughs> so sorry for you right now. I actually like, got oh. so pissed off that I would start going down head first, and that's when I ran into little Tommy Baldwin's kneecap one day and realized I'm never doing that again. So, so what'd you do afterwards? I, I, I to be honest, I don't think I think I ended up going playing pogs with the other kids near the stupid counter square things you were talking about earlier the you know okay man this is rough on the playground yeah i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw out this estimate here i don't think i've spent cumulatively more than 12 hours at a playground in my entire life real even with kids well i mean not with my own kids because i'm not i'm not going on shit but like as a child myself i don't think i've spent more than 12 hours at a playground through my entire life wow yeah, I mean my my oldest is not like me at all. Thank God, so she has a lot of fun. But okay, what's in your? Uh, sorry about your playground experience, dude. Bringing up some <laughs> traumatic stuff here. Okay, all right. Uh, so I put I put I put climbing stuff. Uh, um, I put the rings. Oh, I also I rings. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't expect anyone to know what this is, but. Uh, um, remember like the little nets you'd have to climb up, like, like they would kind of come out at an angle and you would climb up the nets. Cargo net, man. It's called a cargo yeah. net. Okay. Right? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> she ever the, watched American gladiators. Man, they all yeah. got stuck on the cargo net. They oh always had, that, that's the only reason I know that is from American gladiators. Uh, so yes. the cargo net. So Everybody car- had trouble with the cargo net. The cargo net, and then uh, the fireman. The fireman's pole was always fun too. Okay, I had the fire pole. I had the rope ladder on there, like the. But it's basically the same as the cargo net. Now that I think about it, you know what? I never had any fun on was the merry-go-round. That always just made me nauseous, even as uh, a little kid. Once again, if I ever got asked to do it, it was always just to run around and, like you know, be the spinner. I guess. Okay, I had a good time sometimes on a zip line. It could be a good zip line that was out there. I ain't getting my fat ass on a zip line. Dang, dude, it's hard to be a big kid, huh? I mean, it really is. I kind of feel bad for all those kids. I mean, it's it's not fun, man. They don't make they don't really yeah, make really playground for big uh, for bigger people for bigger kids. You know, you know what, dude? If this podcast ever takes off and we make a lot of money, we're gonna get a big kids playground, special big kids playground in every city. <laughs> well, just two cities: Seattle and Detroit. Yeah, that's big kids <laughs> playground plus size. That's a lot of money. I don't think we'll ever make that much money if we ever do. No, maybe we'll just get like one big slide. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. You can't beat the slide. You just can't. And right next to that is the swings. But after that, I think there is some interpretation as to what the best playground equipment is. Like, I'll hear your debate on the numbers three, four, and five. But if you're trying to say that something else is going to get into the top two, you got, I don't I can't help you. You could help us out, though, by liking, downloading, subscribing, or sharing if you get a chance. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.